Hey friends, welcome back to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. So this time of year, as we roll into the latter months, we all start to think more about food preservation, and that can come in many forms, whether you're tucking things away in cold storage in a root cellar or a basement like me, you're canning, you're freezing. And one of the most old-fashioned and time-honored methods of preservation that I don't think gets the press that it deserves is fermentation. So we've talked about it briefly here and there on the podcast But it's been a while since we've really delved into it. And so I wanted to come at this topic from a fresh perspective. So I'm so excited to have Jamie Powell joining me today. She is a wild fermentation revivalist. She has a book. She has all sorts of content around this. And I can't think of anyone better to talk about fermenting all the things. So welcome, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited for this conversation. I have definitely dabbled in fermentation over the years in various forms, but I still feel like it's one of those areas of the kitchen where I, I kind of stay in my my ruts of what I'm comfortable with, and I'm not really good at getting out of that. So I'm hoping you you know you can kind of inspire me to try something new today. Absolutely. So I love that you call yourself a wild fermentation revivalist. How do you define that? Kind of what does that mean to you? So I take on the responsibility of bringing back that old-fashioned, ancient charm of preservation, right? And by way of wild fermentation. So I teach people all about it and how we can even get a jar of probiotics with my recipes in less than seven days. That's Yeah, that's impressive because I know we look at some of the recipes or some of the older recipes, it's like many weeks, which can be intimidating. And it's also... You don't get that instant gratification, which sometimes can be a good thing. But when you, I think when you're learning a new skill, it's nice to have the results a little bit sooner. So the one thing that separates me and every other recipe on, you know, Google or whatever, a lot of things that you're going to find in common on the Internet is they call for a way starter. And, yes. you know, this is what really honed in for me to write a book because it's just not necessary I mean, this has been going on. People have been doing sourdough, fermenting wine, beer, et cetera, for centuries before this, uh, people needing a starter because they think, you know, they're scared maybe. And they're like, oh, well, this is safe. I better only have this way starter when it's just not simply the case. So I, my book is projected simply for the novice and just basically giving them that good grounding and good skill set to where they can literally ferment anything. Why do you think the way starter kind of came into popularity? I think it came in with industrialization and commercialism. Whereas, oh, we're so scared of bacteria. You know, you're going to get sick. Well, look at mold, for example. We don't want to eat that. And so I teach people how to do things. So say, for example, If you're a beginner in my book, I teach you, hey, a great way to go about wild fermentation is starting with a mason jar. It's just simple. It's easy. And everyone has success with it, you know. And so giving them the understanding of a lot of this plays into environment and just a little bit of salt. And I promise you we're not going to have any mold going on. And if you do then you have to look at where you're putting it. That is also essential. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Because, yeah, the temperature in your house is going to be different than the temperature in mine. You know, I live here in a place where it's triple digits during the summer, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I know that plays 
a big role. It's kind of one of the beauties of it is that it's a, it's a science, but it's also an art depending on, <clears throat> excuse me. Oh my goodness. For some reason I get a frog in my throat every time I record a podcast. Um, it's definitely <laughs> so many variables, which makes it, I think could be frustrating, but also really beautiful in that you get to have so many variables and it's different depending on where you're doing it. Exactly. So scientifically, it's, it is a metabolic breakdown of where the microorganisms, they're just kind of taken over. Specifically, we are dealing with the wild bacteria strain lactobacillus. But, you know, I prefer layman's terms. So every because there's bacteria in the air, you know, so every fruit and vegetable, you know, you give it that good environment, the proper environment and you're going to be able to create a beautiful probiotic jar without any waste starter. Yes, I love that. And I'd love to get into here in a little bit, maybe a little more of the nitty gritty of the salt ferments versus the ones that, you know, why people would be trying to use a waste starter and, and kind of the background mm-hmm. of that. But I'd love to just kind of dial it back for a minute. And for someone listening to this who has dabbled in maybe growing their own food or preservation or, or cooking from scratch, but they're still a little hesitant about fermentation. Why would you say someone should look into this form of preserving food over, you know, freezing or canning or those things? Sure, absolutely. So I'm going to preface this with the standard American and the standard American diet is very unhealthy. You know, it's recommended that we even eat seven to 10 vegetables and fruits a day and people don't do that. So if I can meet you where you're at, if you're still eating out, that's okay. We got to start in small places, right? So having you enter the world of wild fermentation and getting probiotics, you're, if you, when you get these natural probiotics, and I, this isn't a pill. So this is food, and this is something that your body 100% recognizes, and it's going to digest it very quickly. And so probiotics, let's talk about that, wild fermentation has so many great benefits. You know, it keeps your bowels regular. It helps and speeds up digestion, which if you eat a lot of meat, you know, or stuff like that, you really need something to kind of get it in and get it out of that colon, you know. So there are many reasons to go about probiotics. A lot of people who have type 2 diabetes are on a probiotic pill. And I have actually helped them wean off with the help of their doctor, switching from the pill to probiotic ferments every week. Yeah. So you're, you're getting the benefits of preserving the food for later, but also <clears throat> I think a lot more health aspects there involved than just canning and, fr- and freezing. Not that those are bad exactly. necessarily, but you're getting that extra step. Exactly. And so when you ferment something, it, it isn't like when you can, you can't, it's not shelf stable. It will have to stay in the refrigerator. But most of my recipes, once it's fermented, it's good for 12 months in your fridge. Mm, okay. Yeah. I definitely want to talk about cold storage because that's one of my biggest hurdles to this, why I don't do it more. I'd love to, though, for you to give us a little background on why you're so passionate about this because I, I know you have a pretty amazing personal story related to home fermented foods. Yeah. Yeah. So 10 years ago, I was suffering with IBS. And it was just painful. So the pendulum can swing either way, constipation or the runs. And for most people, like unfortunately with me, I got both of them. So, and it was just something that was just, you know, just a day-to-day basis. And it it was just really hard. Didn't know what I was going to do. You know, my gastrologist, he had me on a pill to speed up my digestion because I also have a hiatal hernia. 
And so I'm like, well, this is just crazy, you know? And then me and my husband, we were talking about it with some research. We looked into Sally Fallon's book and she was like fermenting. We're like, what is this, you know? And so 10 years ago, we started with sauerkraut and all of a sudden within a day, I saw a notice in, in my bowels. They started to become regular. And then wow. within a month, I noticed I didn't even have IBS. Now, this is wow. something that I do keep up with weekly. So it's almost like I swapped out pills for food. And, and that's what is so amazing to me because I've helped so many people do the same thing. And it, it, I have so much passion about it. But it is important to note that you don't want to treat fermented food like a pill. That's not really my aim at promoting this lifestyle. It is a lifestyle. You need to, let's go old fashioned. Let's get back to the basics. Let's keep everything whole foods. Let's get things out of our garden, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when like, when you started to see that change so quickly with your IBS, was that you were, you were eating sauerkraut? Were, were you eating like cups of it a day? Or were you eating just a little bit a day? I'd love a little bit more. I mean, not to make a prescription for people because I don't think that's how food works. Right. But I just love to hear a little bit more of your strategy around that. Absolutely. So when it does come to fermented foods, I actually do kind of prescribe like a little prescription because it is probiotic and we don't want to get sure. you too gassy too soon. Right. It's right. kind of like starting out with beans. If you've never ate beans, you got to start slow. So if you're just starting out, I do recommend that you start out with one fermented recipe and, you know, maybe have it once or twice a week and just see how your body feels from there. People typically respond very well from this and then they can go to every day in like maybe a quarter cup amount, half a cup amount, whether it be sauerkraut, my salsa, all my other recipes. So, but the funny thing is when I first started out, we did our sauerkraut and it was, I was so dramatic because I had to eat it with a cracker mm. and like quickly chase it with water. But you know what? That's the funny thing. We are able to change our palate to good yes. food, to good. And now my body absolutely craves the bacteria. Yeah. I've, I've noticed that myself too, when I started doing more I, it's a it's a weird craving, and it really caught me off guard when it happened because I'm like, why am I all of a sudden thinking about like sauerkraut and kombucha all of a sudden? And it's just <laughs> weird. It's like your body knows when you start to tap into that, it, it starts to talk to you more. Absolutely. Yeah. Can you give us a little bit, kind of like the bird's eye view of what's happening in let's say let's say I have a jar of sauerkraut. Someone's listening, they're inspired, they go do their first jar, kind of help them understand the science of what's happening in that jar as they let it sit on their counter. Because I feel like there's sometimes this mystery around it and people get really nervous because it feels counterintuitive to put a bunch of vegetables in brine and stick it on your counter with no refrigeration, you know, for the first week. And I know people are like, they message me all the time. It's bubbling. Does it have botulism? Is it, is it bad? Am I safe to eat it? I'm really scared to taste it. So maybe if we kind of understand the science of what's going on in there, it'll give people a little more confidence. Absolutely. So this is why I tell people to start with mason jars with the metal lid, because it's almost a foolproof way. And so when you are doing your sauerkraut or a salsa or anything like that, what's happening is with a, just a little bit of salt, and I only recommend you salt to taste, there's no reason to do a brine on everything. I only do a brine on one thing, and that is pickles. And so once that happens, once that's on the counter, in a few days, you're going to notice it's going to start getting bubbly. It's going to start 
you're going to start seeing bubbles start to rise to the top. And you're even, if you're doing sauerkraut, you can even see the change of the cabbage itself from going from like bottom to top as it's just the natural bacteria is just breaking it down all the way to the top, which is what you want. You know, we want that bacteria. Mm -hmm. And so by the time you're done fermenting, what I tell people is if you see bubbles, you are good to go. If you see something furry, red, ugly, it is not your friend and that is mold. And it's safe to say that. And I think, you know, just using our natural senses that God gave us is just so key. I mean, we do that with everything else that we eat, right? Right, right. And so just like when we open it, I also recommend people say you're doing your sauerkraut. Well, put a extra little, wad up a little extra piece of cabbage leaf put it on top. So if you are worried about anything that's going to come up there on top, you're just discarding that. And then everything else is on the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. So the bacteria are coming from the vegetable itself, right? Exactly. It's already on there. It's on there. And so with a really good environment, we're just given it space to grow. And what separates that from mold is mold loves air. You know, so mm. say, for example, we put that extra cabbage leaf on top and you might see and it's below the water content level. There might be a little something there, but it could be small. I'm telling you, if you go if you go about my skill sets and my book, you're more than likely will never have that problem. But if you do, it is just so easy to discard that, throw it away. And like I said, you've got all that good extra goodness already underneath. Yeah. And so the bacteria is on the vegetable and then the salt is important because is that helping to repress any bad bacteria? What's kind of the function of the salt in a brine? Because I know if we're not using our whey, and maybe that's a good time to talk about, you know, maybe why people think whey is necessary and why you don't think it is and why I'm also a salt, strict salt only person. So I'd love to hear why salt and why not whey? So way just goes back to, you know, people feeling safe, you know, you know, oh, I want to 100% guarantee this is going to work. Whereas I, I like the old simple methods. I'm like, why have to buy something extra when I already have salt? So it's important because salt does keep bad bacteria away, but you don't have to oversalt it. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you just salt to taste. And it, everything else does itself. I mean, it's so amazing. So I'm a firm, I'm firmly against a way starter just because I love old fashioned ways. I love it that people have been making sauerkraut. You know, all, all cultures have, have a ferment, you know, in Asia, you have kimchi in mm-hmm. Russia, you know, you have beet kvass, you know, and it's just so amazing, you know, and they don't use starter cultures, you know, a whey right. culture or anything like that. They just use the natural process. And this is a tradition that has been passed down. So they're not scared of this. And they know right. it's safe. And they know what to look for. We all know mold is your enemy. So Sure. So people might be marketed <clears throat> a whey culture because they're kind of maybe thinking that they need that extra burst of bacteria when you're saying, no, the bacteria is there. Just let it give it the right environment. And you don't need to add any extra in. Exactly. Exactly. Just keep it simple. I'm all about simplicity. Yes, totally. What is, how does it balance out with, I know home ferments, you know, we're, we're 
kind of speaking in the realm of how probiotic and beneficial they are. How does that compare? And I, I don't expect you to have the perfect science breakdown, but how does that compare contrast with the probiotics that you're going to buy at the store? Because I mean, you go to the doctor, they're, they're always like probiotic, probiotic. So yeah, can, yeah. can you fully replace um, a probiotic pill with home probiotic foods? Like what's your thoughts on that? So I have, and I have helped many people do that, that have type 2 diabetes. They have been very successful in doing that. Um, simply because once you start fermenting and you start ver- fermenting a variety of foods like uh, tomatoes, cabbage, you're getting multiple nutrients and just a diverse strains of probiotics because you're getting this from all the different vegetables, mm-hmm. you know? And so... I, I do think it's key, you know, when it when it comes to the probiotic pills that you buy in a store, I like to think of that as kind of like a vitamin B pill. You can kind of take that supplement and when you go to the bathroom, you're going to immediately pee a very bright yellow. Now, at that point, do you really think your body absorbed all that? Mm. I mean, how can it, you know? And so my thing is, when you, we are giving ourselves probiotics in a food form, our body recognizes all of it and we're able to take it in everything. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And I, I, you know, my gut has got my haha, funny pun. My gut has always told me like <laughs> that, you know, it makes more sense that the probiotic foods that we're, we're, you know, wired to eat, we've all, that we've eaten culturally for millennia would be more beneficial than whatever they can package into a little pill. And sometimes like, especially when the pills aren't refrigerated, I'm like, how, how alive is that little pill? <laughs> like, you know, they're like, Oh, exactly. 50 million it is strains not of alive. whatever. And I'm like, how does that work? So yeah, it's, it makes a lot of sense so, to me that yeah, exactly. the real, the real food now, is better. And you're right. Not to interrupt you, but you are totally right. Because if it's not refrigerated, well, how is it living? Yes. Because one of my favorite things to do, I actually, with one of my sauces, is I will ferment it, keep it in the fridge. And if I'm in, if I'm in a hurry, I can quickly take that out, put it in a skillet, add it to taco meat or anything like that, and boom, that's vegetables already chopped and loaded. Because when you heat it up, mm. sure, you're killing the probiotics, but it still becomes the veg itself. It doesn't taste right. sour or anything like that. Yeah. And that's another thing I would like to hit on is that everyone has this, well, we're scared of it being so sour because everyone is so familiar with the sourness of sauerkraut. Yeah. So, but I'm like, well, maybe you should try salsa then. So everything fermented, it's going to have what I call the fermented bite. You're going to have like a little hit on your tongue from it, but it's not everything has to be sour. You know, my pickles, they're not totally sour. Mm -hmm. The salsa is not so sour. You know, it's actually enjoyable. And that's the funniest thing. Like when I meet people at my local city farmer's market where I work, they actually are like shocked. They're like, this doesn't even taste bad. I could eat this. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I've noticed like with my home, because I don't like store-bought sauerkraut, just like the kind that's in a cans, you know, or the jars on the grocery store shelves. I don't like the taste of it. I've never have, but my homemade sauerkraut, I actually do enjoy it. And I feel like you you can control the sourness more when you're making it yourself, right? Exactly. So it's totally up to you when it comes to sauerkraut and the sourness. So you can let it go for six to eight weeks. You can let it go for 12 weeks. You know, that is up to you and what you like the most. There are a lot of people out there who really want it pungent, 
well, then mm-hmm. they're going to let it go for 12 weeks. In one of my recipes, I have created like a coleslaw version of sauerkraut. And it's where you shred carrots and and onions. And it's just so good, you know. And with that ferment, with it having carrots in it, it has sugar. And so Mm. it's going to speed up that process to under seven days. Oh, interesting. Okay. And so so it's not sour at that point. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Yeah, the coleslaw. I've never tried coleslaw. I've done a lot of cabbagey stuff with the fermenting, but the coleslaw is intriguing to me. So yeah. that's that sounds really good. And it, I really, I don't know. Sometimes it's hard with the uninitiated. To, I feel like to to feed them the sauerkraut. You know, even my my yeah. kids will have phases where they're like well, they they love it, and then there's days like I'm not sure what to do with the sauerkraut. But like the coleslaw is a lot easier to sell, and so is yeah. the salsa. It sounds like. I mean, salsa. Who doesn't yes. like salsa? Yep. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Hey friend, I'm interrupting this episode for just a second to give a shout out to our sponsor, Genuine Beef. Now, this is actually my beef company, the one that my husband and I started a number of years ago to bring our grass-finished Wyoming beef straight to your doorstep. And I know that whenever we start to shift into this fall and winter season, I get the very primal urge to stock up on food. And I know many of you feel that same way. So we have put together a freezer filler special to help you do just that. You're going to get four of our most popular beef roasts, the ones that are great for crock pots and those cozy winter meals, as well as three pounds of our 90-10 ground beef. We're going to put it all in a bundle and give it to you for 15% off while supplies last. Now, we can ship this to anywhere in the continental US. We do second-day air. We put a lot of dry ice in there, so it'll get to your doorstep safe and sound. And if you want to grab a box or two or three, head on over to theprairiehomestead.com slash freezer uh, to grab your bundle. And I'll go ahead and drop that link in the show notes too. Now, back to our episode. So I'd love to talk about the timeframes because you, you said seven days, you can get it done. We talked about controlling the sourness with how long you're fermenting. What about like the, the biggest barrier to me, for me in doing a ton more fermenting is like, I don't have a root cellar where I can have giant crocks of things. And so I, I have two refrigerators, but they're often full. And so I'll do a few jars of sauerkraut when I need to use up cabbage and such. But sometimes I really struggle with finding space for everything. Do you have any tricks for that? Absolutely. So say, for example, you want, because, you know, I run into the same problem. You know, I have a beautiful crock, but I'm like, okay, I got a little, a limited amount of space here. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> like I do what pretty much what you were saying. Oh, okay. I keep a jar of kraut for my family. But uh, if I am only eating like maybe a little bit of pickles in there, well, I don't need a big jar of pickles, fermented pickles. So I can just make a little tiny jar in that and keep it in the bottom of the fridge or something. And the same thing goes for salsa, you know. So I also make and teach people how to do a fermented soda. So Mm. you could store that however you like once it's done fermenting, you know. And that's just easy, accessible, and it's a wonderful drink for the summertime. So my go-to is keeping it in mason jars because, to me, it just just helps in the fridge. Yeah, yeah. So talk to me about the soda a little bit more. Is that like a kefir base? Like what are what where are you getting the 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 punch of the probiotic in that? I'm curious. Right. So I am doing this with a ginger bug. So okay. we're getting all the wonderful benefits of fresh ginger in itself, the antiviral, anti-inflammatory properties, mm. all in a drink. And um, so 
That is a little bit longer. That is the only thing in my book that takes a little bit longer. And, you know, to produce the bug from scratch, it's going to take about two weeks. But after that, you're good to go. And every seven days, you can make like literally like a gallon of soda. Oh, wow. Okay. And it's pretty fizzy. I mean, it is. It is very fizzy. Okay. And so you can, well, I tell people, you know, you can use any glass bottles. You could use mason jars if you like, but if you're looking for a good pop, you know, the old beer grosh bottles, mm-hmm. the green bottles, those swing top bottles are great. I don't recommend the ones on Amazon. They have busted on me more than once. Yeah. So I do not recommend that at all. But, you know, when it comes to soda, a lot of people don't want to eat like sourness or anything like that or like maybe soft they're just scared they're like okay Mm -hmm. well maybe I can drink it and that's where the soda comes into play and that's one thing that my kids love the most is a ginger soda because it resembles like a ginger ale sprite type thing but you can flavor it to other flavorings as well I use a lot of herbs so with my ginger concoction I can make like a hibiscus ginger soda or an elderberry ginger soda and just kind of change it up. Awesome. Yeah. I love that. How does that compare to kombucha? Oh, I was so happy you asked that. So many, many years ago, I started out with kombucha, dealt with the hotel, the Scoby Hotel and everything that was forever growing and just wouldn't stop, you know, <laughs> and it's like... Yes. It's just a different flavor. You know, with kombucha, you're fermenting like a tea. And mm-hmm. then I ran into the problem of, well, not everyone wants like this tea. And it it just wasn't feasible for me. And then I just yeah. kind of got to where like, you know, I don't like this either. And so I looked into like milk keepers and stuff like that. But I don't do that. But hey, to each their own. There's However you get into the fermented world is great. So I, I just started the ginger bug and it spawned from the Victorian age where they made ginger beer. So, yeah. So I just kind of manipulated that a little bit and kind of created my own little thing with it. So it's a little, the, you'd say the ginger soda is easier than kombucha potentially. 100%. Okay. So yeah. there is no Scoby Hotel we're keeping up with. No, <laughs> yeah. Nothing huge that's taking up space. I do this bug in a mason jar, in a quart mm-hmm. size jar okay. with yeah. a cloth covering. And that's it. I feed it every two days. Okay. You know? That sounds if, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. really appealing to me. We've, I've, I love kombucha. I have done kombucha on and off homemade for years, I really struggle to stay on top of it. Like I actually have Mm. a giant scoby and a continuous brew crock on my counter now. It's highly neglected, like extremely neglected. As a a homeschool mom of three children, I just found it to be like another stressor. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't need another stressor. I need something a little bit more simply. And I found the ginger soda to be a lot more fizzy and more like a soda. Okay. You know, I'm excited to try that because <clears throat> I do love ginger ale and ginger beer. So I think that would be yeah, right up my alley. Awesome. And then we have the probiotic. Okay. So I'm inspired for the, the ginger. We're going for it. We're Can gonna... I talk a little bit about the fermented food you might buy in the, in the store? Yeah, that's a great topic. Let's definitely, definitely hit on that. Yeah. So because everyone goes and gets their kombucha, right? Right. <laughs> they, right. So I read a lot of scientific articles, and in my book, I even have some case studies. But it is scientifically proven that when you buy that kombucha from the store, it's practically vinegar. And right. at, that, yeah. at, at that moment, 
that is not good for your gut microbiome at that mm-hmm. level of intake. And even yes. I'm sure you've heard of the sauerkraut brand bubblies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is the same that you are not getting 100% probiotics in that jar. I mean, it's commercialized. They yeah. have to do something, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's proven if you want the full benefits, just do it yourself because then you're going to be able to take it all in. Right. Right. And that was, that's a great, that's a great point. Cause I think a lot of people maybe, cause I know like the bub- bubbies or bubblies or whatever, like it's a refrigerated sauerkraut, but there's a lot of brands that are just on the shelf next to the canned green beans. And those would have like no probiotic benefit. Right. Cause those have been canned Nothing. at a high temperature. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. yeah. So once you heat up a pro, any fermented food or anything, it's gone. You've lost yeah. it. Yeah. Right. Right. And the, and the kombucha back to jumping around, but the kombucha we've, I, I mean, I do buy store-bought kombucha sometimes, but I'll look on the back on some brands and you can tell they put CO2 in it to make it have fizz, which is pleasant. Exactly. And I know there's, I mean, they have to do that because it needs to be consistent and it's hard to get consistent fizz and kombucha commercially, I'm sure. But still it's like, it's not the same product, like you said, is what you would be making at home. Exactly. It is not. And plus, think about the sugar intake that's in it, you know, and a lot of things that's marketed in stores, you know, they don't have to tell you everything that's in it or the amount that's in it. Right. You know, so when you are able to control this at home. So when I make my ginger soda, I actually am able to do it at a low sugar. Now, the bacteria feeds on sugar, so it will. That's how we feed it. Mm -hmm. But. You know, during the actual process of fermenting it, it's eating that sugar. And if you like something, let then let it go a little bit longer, like five days, you know, once you've bottled it and it will be less sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Can we, can you speak to like, we've talked a lot about the vegetable ferments, which is kind of the classic does what about the fermented dairy or or things like sourdough? Are we still getting the same sort of probiotic punch in there? Are there other considerations? What are your thoughts on those? Yeah, so you're actually, when it comes to dairy and sourdough, we are getting more. We're getting a more diverse mm-hmm. okay. bacteria. So in sourdough, it's so amazing because it can be cooked and the bacteria will not be killed. And that's not like that with all the other stuff that I've been okay. talking about. Yeah. So this is the only thing that when we cook it, that the bacteria is just so alive in there. And we're going to, and it's so like, for example, you can ferment the bread for 24 hours or anything like that, or maybe even 48. I love long fermented breads, but mm-hmm. you are taking a huge amount of that gluten out of that bread and making that like 100% digestible for your body. Mm-hmm. And there's yeah. been people that I have met that has like celiac disease and stuff. And I caution them and, you know, be careful, try it. But they have all been able to tolerate Bread's made at home, sourdough bread made at home, because that stuff that you buy in the store that is marketed as sourdough isn't sourdough. It's just a sourdough seasoning. Yes. You know? Yep, totally. Yeah, such a disappointment. That's why I think these skills are so important to bring back, because this is one area that commercialism really hasn't been able to conquer just to the nature of these foods being so alive. And so the the stuff, the, the copycats you'll see at the store, whether it's the sourdough bread that you buy on the shelf or the sauerkraut you buy on the shelf, they're they're really that food in name only and they do not contain the good stuff. So this is where you get to, as a homesteader, really step into this and learn how to make it yourself. 
Exactly. That's what I tell people when I do my workshops, you know, hey, if it's shelf stable, it's not real. Make it yourself. Yeah. You know, and that's one thing that people don't understand is that we all have bacteria in our guts. And it's up to us as to what we feed it as to are we promoting good bacteria or army of bad bacteria that can promote candida, yeast and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So when we're eating a and getting a good gut microbiome with vegetables, fruit, whole foods, you know, then we are promoting immunity. Right. So if we go out deep, we're not doing that just by one meal. You can promote disease for the years to come. But the good thing is that our gut literally resets like every seven days, kind of like a snake that sheds its skin. So we can always come back. We can always bring our gut back, you know. But I will say that if you stick to your whole food diet, a good lifestyle, gardening, all that, all that jazz, and add in your probiotic fermented food, you're going to notice you just don't get sick anymore. Not right. like you used to. And I think that's what keeps me coming back more and more. If I see one of my kids come home, they immediately start throwing up. I think, oh, stomach bug. First thing I do is I help them and then I go hit the fridge. I don't care what it is. Ginger (laughs) soda, sauerkraut. I immediately eat two cups. Okay. And I'm telling you every single time. I never get it. And there's throw up in my hair. I'm cleaning it. I'm mom, you know, (laughs) I'm doing the whole thing and I will never get it. So I do believe there is a lot of power in this and healing ourselves with just food, you know, bring it back to the old days. Absolutely. Agree with that. Yes. So what does that look like? I think that brings us to a, a great, a great question. Like what is your daily intake of probiotic foods look like? Are you just like slamming a certain amount of sauerkraut every morning, you know, just like religiously, or do you kind of weave it into your meals throughout the day in other forms? Yeah, so that's great. So yeah, I definitely do a weaving. So say, for example, if I have eggs for breakfast, I might put some salsa on top. And then at lunch, you know, so, you know, it's okay to also treat fermented foods as a condiment, especially when we first start out. I do think that's important, slowing that in there. Mm -hmm. And then for lunch, I will have a ginger soda along with my meal that will include a sourdough bread. So I have got my family to the point to where we're functioning on sourdough bread <laughs> so yeah. instead of everything in the store. And when you have kids, that might be a little hard to do at first. And but, you know, it, so anyway, incorporating it, sourdough, the ginger soda, I will say it's just so easy to just intake if you're on the go, anything like that. Having that salsa is also really good if you're on the go and you want to just add it to like a chicken salad or something. You know, there's so many different ways that we can incorporate this. But typically every day I have a soda, a ferment as a condiment or sauerkraut as a side and, of course, sourdough bread. Yeah, I love the condiment idea. Americans love their condiments. So if you can just kind of swap out some of the packaged store versions with the fermented instead, I feel like that's a really easy way to start dipping your toe in the waters. Exactly. Yeah. I I wanted to talk a little bit about the technique because you've mentioned mason jars and I'm also in the mason jar fermentation camp. I think it's just so simple and I have so many mason jars, so why not use them? Um, (laughs) Right. Over the years, I've tried different 
systems or airlocks or lids or, you know, people always are trying to sell you the, the, the newest, greatest sort of fermentin, fermentation trick. Do you use any of those airlocks or fancy things or do you just do regular old jar lids? I do not. And I'm going to tell you why, because I am all about simplicity. Let's keep it simple. You know, the mainstream people are going to try to get you to buy every little thing they can. Oh, I can market that and sell that. I can make money doing this. So you can't ferment unless you got this airlock lid. It's just so not true. Mm-hmm. If you want to have it, sure, have it. I mean, maybe if you were doing a sauerkraut for 12 weeks or something, that could come into play if it's really hot outside. But other than that, no, I, I really don't think people need it at all. In some of my ferments, I even just use a cloth covering, mm. like for my sourdough starter and for my ginger soda bug. It's just a yeah. cloth covering. You yeah. Know? But everything else, metal lid is simple. It keeps a lot of things out. I mean, say, for example, look at sourdough starter, you know, and you bring all this fruit and veg and there's, you know, fruit flies everywhere. Well, if you just leave your lid cracked a little bit or on your ferment, they're going to get in there and you're going to get all kinds of bad stuff like maggots or something. And you don't want that. So keeping it covered, you could even use coffee filters, you know, on your sourdough starter, but I'm old fashioned. I love a good cloth covering. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I've tried, you know, I've, I've tried the I guess I've never seen a difference in an airlock fancy lid ferment versus Mm-mm. just the regular old lid. I, and I, no. you know, because they're sold to you so well. So I've been like, oh, this is going to be the answer. And then I tried, I'm like, it's mm-hmm. really no different. I don't know. I, I'm having no. a hard time seeing it. So I've always, every time I talk to someone about fermentation, I'm like, am I missing something with this? Should I, you know, should I look into the, the latest, greatest? But it's always reassuring that just the simple stuff works the best. No, because it really just boils down to the timing. If you understand the time frame that that certain ferment needs to go, you're going to be fine, especially because my book is geared to the novice. I mean, you're just looking at like a seven days and in the summertime, it could even be three days, you know, and that's just simple, quick, you know, especially if you work and you're busy, you got a bunch of kids running around, you know, so simple, simple, simple is what I always preach the most. Yes, yes. I love it. Okay, as we kind of wind down here, I think my last big question for you is, you mentioned mold a few times. I personally haven't had a lot of mold issues, but every once in a while I get someone emailing me and they're like, I cannot stop getting mold on my ferments. And I know you mentioned the the, the trick of like putting the cabbage core, the cabbage leaf, or, or something like that on top to kind of protect that top layer. You can discard that. But if someone continually is getting mold throughout their ferments, what is happening yeah. and how can they prevent that? Okay. That can be easily prevented. The thing is, I teach in my book that you have to find a ferment spot. And that might make you have ferments that is completely moldy. And what's going on? Well, you need to move it somewhere else. Mm. I have people reach out to me and say, oh, this is, and I'm like, okay, well, where did you put the ferment? Oh, in my washroom. Oh my goodness. That's like the last place to put it with a dryer, Mm. creating moisture and humidity. You can go through all the steps correctly all you want, but if you don't set that up into the correct place with a temperature or anything like that, you're just going to get mold, period. I don't care how well you did the process. So we have to make sure we keep it out of direct sunlight. I mean, think about it. If you go up to a window, put your hand on it, you're going to feel a change difference. So if you have a ferment that is getting that sunlight at all, you know, bam, 
mold. If you're putting it right there beside your stove where steam and condensation is constantly coming up, you know, that's not going to set you up for success. So I recommend finding a dark cabinet that is typically undisturbed, or I love to ferment on bookshelves. I got like three bookshelves. So, you know, you can go all over my house and probably find a ferment, you know, just because, you know, it's really good to do it in a, in a cool room uh, to where it can slowly ferment and and do its job. That makes sense. Okay. Does, is it com- more common that people are in super humid environments might have more trouble with mold or are there things that they would have to think about? I live in like a place with 0% humidity, so that is not <laughs> something I have to worry about, but I, I know a lot of folks have a lot more humidity than I do. Right. No, I don't think so at all. Like I said, I think it just depends on the placement and it might take you some time finding that room in your home, but I promise you everyone has that room. And the reason you have to find that room, that one spot is you might not have central heating and air like I do. You might have a window unit. You might have a wood stove that you're working with, you know. So finding finding that spot kind of just balance where the temperature is like a continuing continuing temperature is really key. Okay. Awesome. Good to know. Yeah. Temperature, I know, is a big deal. Whew, this has been awesome. I am very excited to go get a ginger bug or make a ginger bug and start some soda. And maybe I can just put the SCOBY on vacation. <laughs> it's actually been on vacation for a really long time. Just uh, throw it away because it once away. you learn yep. this ginger bag, uh, you're going to be like, you're not going to go back. I promise yep. you. Okay. <laughs> it sounds quite appealing, especially right now in the summertime. Yeah. Where can folks get your book? Where can they learn more about you and follow along with everything you're doing? You can find my book, Bringing Back Bacteria, on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and Walmart.com. And you can follow me on all my socials at Wild and Artfully Me. And I have all kinds of stuff offer there. I have a YouTube channel I just started where I offer, just actually uploaded how people can make tapache. And I don't know if you've heard of that. It's a pineapple fermented drink. That sounds amazing. Easy. Yeah. So, yes. So find me on my socials. I also have a little podcast of my own. Okay. Awesome. Fabulous. Any other things, tips you would like to share before we sign off? We covered a lot of good ground, but did we miss anything? No, I think that if we keep to a whole food diet with added probiotics, I think we're going to set ourselves up for 100% success and just being able to prevent disease and enjoying the old fashioned way of preservation. Yeah, I love that. Well said. So Jamie, this has been so fun and so inspiring. Thank you for joining me and everybody go check out all that Jamie has to offer. Uh, A lot of good content. Her book looks amazing. So go have a look and let's start fermenting more. I know I'm definitely inspired. So thanks for being here. Thank you so much.